Brazil continues to cement its place as the world's COVID-19 epicenter. The country is registering more deaths per day than any other nation when we look at a seven-day average basis. But this week we want to focus on the economics of the pandemic. We're not technically in recession yet, as it takes two quarters of negative growth for that to be true. But that's only a matter of time until the second quarter figures are released. In the year's first three months, Brazil's economy shrank by 1.5%. In the second quarter, the fall is expected to be by as much as 10%, as the economic effects of quarantine measures really start to reflect in the numbers. As a matter of fact, the pandemic could create an entire lost generation in Brazil. My name is Gustavo Ribeiro, I'm the editor-in-chief of the Brazilian Report. This is Explaining Brazil. Since January, Brazil has already lost 1.4 million formal jobs, according to data from the Economy Ministry. Meanwhile, the Brazilian Institute of Geography and Statistics reports that a total of almost 13 million people are out of a job. And that doesn't even count the millions who are not working, but due to the pandemic simply can't or won't look for a job. Less than half of the economically active population is employed, the lowest level on record. That creates a scenario that would leave scars on any country. And this week, we want to ponder which kind of society will emerge in post-pandemic Brazil. And to do that, we'll speak to a historian and an economist. First up, we have economist Jogo Brito, a Brazilian researcher at the Bocconi University in Italy. He and two other researchers, Paulo Pinotti and Breno Sampaio, have published a paper with a very intriguing title. Quote, the effect of job loss and unemployment insurance on crime in Brazil. They say that after losing their job, Brazilian workers are 23% more likely to be convicted of crimes in the near future, and not necessarily financial-related crimes. Diogo, thanks for joining us. I'd like to start by asking how you got to that conclusion. For this project, we use quite detailed data, so we have near the universe of criminal prosecutions for almost 10 years in Brazil, and also individual level data from uh, the formal labor market in Brazil, so we can match uh, workers to uh, criminal prosecutions. So we can uh, compare crime rates of groups of workers that were dismissed uh, before and after they lose their jobs, and then we compare this over time to other workers who did not lose their jobs. And then also to make uh, this story uh, more credible, rather than just looking at workers that lose a job, like considering all of them, we also focus on workers who lost their jobs in a mass layoffs or in a firm which is closing, meaning that most likely in those cases, the worker is not... Uh, exiting the job because he intends, he decided to pursue a criminal career or for third reasons. 
so that's why we look at cases of uh, mainly of cases of mass layoffs, where we can say that arguably these workers they have been displaced because these firms they were experiencing uh, economic trouble. So essentially, we compare workers that have been displaced in mass layoffs before and after to other workers who share similar characteristics, which have not been displaced over the same period. And is the data consistent throughout multiple age groups and genders, or does that phenomenon affect a specific demographic more than others? One interesting finding is that uh, this effect, we, f- we find a positive and strong effect for most groups of workers. And by that, I mean uh, workers with lower and higher education levels, workers with uh, lower or higher income, workers of all ages. Um, so we find an effect for all of them. However, this effect is much stronger for workers uh, who are younger, for example, uh, workers who have lower education and workers who are displaced with uh, lower job tenure have been just for you know a few years or a few months uh, in the job, so they seem to suffer more uh, from the job loss. But when we talk about a spike in crime rates, are we talking about, say, money-related crimes like robbery or theft, or are things more complicated than that? We investigate the mechanism and we conclude that an important mechanism behind this effect is that workers, uh, they run out of money when they are out of a job. So one of the reasons we conclude that is that we find that those workers who have access to unemployment benefits during the first three to five months after the layoff, they are not more likely to be criminally prosecuted. So unemployment benefits seem to help a lot. Uh, while these workers, they are receiving unemployment benefits. Then after the benefits expire, we also see an increase uh, in crime for them. So this leads us, among other things, to conclude that, you know, access to to money is an important uh, driver behind the effect which we find, rather as opposed to, for example, incapacitation, which is, you know, available time. You know, some people could think that maybe... You know, unemployed individuals, they are going to, they, they, they might commit more crime just because, you know, they have available time, they hang out at the bar, they have bad ideas uh, deriving from that, and some of them might uh, engage in crime. Yeah, it's like that famous phrase, the devil finds work for idle hands. Our conclusions are opposite to that. So they are uh, mostly related, they, they highlight the, the importance of their ability to keep up with uh uh, with their the consumption of or of their basic needs during uh, after the job loss. So this is one part. Another part, another interesting finding is that uh, we find an increase in the in crime for all types of crime. So we look all across the board and we find a quite strong effects on, for example, drug related crimes, on property crimes. And, but we also find effects on uh, more violent crime, for example, even homicides. Uh, we can detect an effect with, which it goes something around 20, 30 percent increase. And even for uh, sorts of pet crimes, as, uh, as it's sometimes called, we see a, an increase in crimes just as traffic related uh, incidents. Another paper that we're working on, and this one also with uh, Sonia Balotra who is at uh, 
the universe of Essex, is uh, we, we do, uh, we, we're studying the impacts of job loss on domestic violence. And we find uh, somewhat similar findings to the main paper, uh, to, to the other paper on general crime. So we find that uh, job loss increased domestic violence measured by criminal prosecutions, both when it's the male who loses the job and when it's the woman who loses the job. With the pandemic, the Brazilian economy is tanking and many economists predict a job apocalypse when all is said and done. Meanwhile, the government says it only has enough money to keep paying its 600 reais coronavirus stipend for another couple of months, an emergency salary that amounts to 110 US dollars, more or less. So, what should we expect for Brazil? I mean, are we looking at a purge esque scenario here? Yeah, so we think that an increase in unemployment. Uh, might lead to an important increase uh, in crime rates. We uh, so as we were seeing already, like there was a decrease of about five percent uh, in the employed population, according to IBGE uh, recent recent statistics. So yeah, so certainly unemployment, uh, the a worsening in employment. Uh, is not promising in terms of crime. Uh, then, related to, to the government measures that were taken recently, so based on, on our conclusions that, you know, the increase in crime after job loss has a lot to do with, you know, the, the access that workers have to, to money, essentially, that you run out of money when you are out of a job. We think that uh, it's, it's, it's very good news for crime that, and for also for other reasons that the, the emergency aid uh, was, was done in Brazil and it was quite large and covered uh, a very large number of people. So uh, we believe that this, based on our research and our conclusions, this should help alleviating the, the problem. But of course, if the economic crisis persists for, uh, for, for quite long and uh, the government is not able or unwilling to uh, continue with aid support, you know, the, the picture could look uh, bad for crime. Uh, I, I would expect effects which, you know, go all around the country and we see an economic slowdown all around the country and not only even in places that experience a lockdown. So it's happening everywhere because people uh, do not feel confident even to spend when they have. Uh, but of course, uh, places which are hit harder by the, by the virus might experience, or I'd expect them to experience a worse economic crisis. Experts believe that the coronavirus-led crisis will be more acute than previous ones. And that spells bad omen for millions of people entering the job market. That and more after the break. I'm Gustavo Ribeiro, and you're listening to Explaining Brazil. Hi, I'm Laura Kiran, co-founder of the Brazilian Report. COVID-19 has created a media paradox. Audiences are going up, 
but for many journalism companies, revenues actually is going down. Some of Brazil's biggest media outlets are trying to cut the salaries of their reporters by up to 70%. Not us. We protect our team because they bring you the best information about Brazil in English. But we do ask you to subscribe to The Brazilian Report, which is the engine of this podcast. There, you will find new in-depth content every day, special reports, analytical newsletters. Just go to brazilian.report slash subscribe. And please stay safe. Benjamin Fogo is a historian who studies Brazil and Latin America. He's also a columnist at the Brazilian Report. Ben, thanks for joining our podcast again. Uh, we've heard from economist Diogo Brito that job loss is directly related to an increase in crime rates. So with possibly the worst recession on record ahead of us, which kind of society can we imagine in the post-pandemic Brazil? Uh, it's hard to think of any sort of society that isn't significantly a worse version of the one we have already. Uh, I think that um, beyond the sort of unprecedented level of uh, economic devastation this pandemic has wrought, and it's still hard to imagine just how big this uh, devastation could be. It could be years. I mean, it already is set to be significantly worse than the Great Depression, which had its own unexpected side effects in the rise of fascism, World War II, and other things. But uh, beyond that, beyond the economic devastation, we don't know how many people are going to die or have died already because the uh, data is not particularly accurate from this disease. And that level of loss of human life has all sorts of unprecedented uh, political and economic and social consequences. And it goes beyond just people dying of immediate causes of a pandemic. And if we think about say, the Spanish flu or uh, the Black Plague or any of these great pandemics of history, they completely transform societies. The society that came in and the society that came out are completely transformed. I mean, uh, it's a complete aside, but I think it's worth mentioning. If There's a significant body of research that indicates one of the sort of crucial factors, not uh, causative, but necessary factors that led to the development of uh, capitalism in Europe was the um, demographic loss of the Black Plague, which meant people looked for other ways of productivity during this time. So great historical transformations are often triggered by uh, this devastating loss of human life. So the way that society is going in, in terms of analyzing Brazil, it's hard not to think of a extremely traumatized, much poorer society that, com uh, that comes out of it, particularly with a broken political system, which seems to be have been broken before the pandemic started and seems to be getting worse as the pandemic uh, continues to devastate the country. An article by reporter José Roberto Castro shows that we will have an entire generation of Brazilians who may never reach their full potential. That's just because they are entering the job market at the wrong time. When might that impact us moving forward? Well, I think there's actually two generations here. There's people about my age, sort of late, late 20s, early 30s, who had grown up in a more positive society and had expectations that things would be getting better continuously and then whose hopes were dashed beforehand by the past economic crisis. And you'll find among my generation, uh, a lot of people who got in debt trying to pursue higher education 
uh, found once they had come through the process that there weren't jobs or opportunities and solid things going forward pre-COVID. So the major uptick in employment is sort of this informal or uh, casualized economy working for delivery apps. All these, you know, there's a big literature now on like call centers and delivery app workers in Brazil. And these guys were and were already really bad or badly off before COVID arrived. And now the one sector that COVID has devastated more than all of than everyone else is this particular sector. It's these casualized uh, sort of hustle economy jobs because people aren't using apps. Uh, the consumption has gone down. And now you have a whole generation of people who had entered the, work, the workforce with uh, some degree of expectations of a better opportunity than their parents who've just lost what limited opportunities they had. Then you have a second generation, which is the younger people who are basically coming through uh, higher education or secondary education right now. And first of all, their educational experience has been completely devastated. And it was being devastated before uh, COVID as well, as this uh, government has unleashed uh, already following uh, damage under the previous Temer government, one of the most uh, sort of anti-education platforms ever in the history of uh, policy and uh, the funding, the situations being slashed. And then you have your whole year disrupted by a um, pandemic and you don't know what's going to happen going forward with your classes. You know there's no jobs out there. You know that your opportunities are limited. And furthermore, it's quite likely that uh, even more uh, damaging policies could be enacted under the guise of the crisis to further limit your educational possibilities. So you have this generation then coming up with really not even the option of working as a uh, Uber driver and having had their final years in high school, early years of college messed up. And these guys are pretty much screwed, to be honest. It's really hard to think of how badly affected these guys are going forward. In a piece for the Brazilian Report, you mentioned that this crisis could create the ideal conditions for a rise of authoritarianism in the country. But at the same time, we have a recent poll showing that Brazilians have never been as supportive of democracy as they are now. Of course, a lot of people equate democracy with elections and not necessarily with principles like defending minorities and human rights. I think the statement of support for democracy is, has to be read in many ways. One, it's sort of an empty statement if you don't have a qualitative assessment of what democracy means, because as you point out, democracy means different things for different people. And for some people, uh, often authoritarian measures can be justified in defense of democracy. Remember, again, the 64 coup was justified as a defense of the constitution against the alleged authoritarian threat posed by the sort of populist, left-leaning Joao Goulart government. So often defenses of democracy are useful justifications for authoritarianism. So you can't really read too much into a sort of blanket statement. So if you were to look at polling and all these things, you have to ask, what, what are the trade-offs that people would make? If you said that people would like order in a time of chaos more than democracy, that's often a statement you find people making. Or would you prefer low crime and less rights to then uh, lots of rights and high crime? And these are sort of trade-offs that people make. And also among different demographics, dependent on class, in Brazil, you get different uh, interpretations of these things. But I think it's also worth saying is that um, despite the 
popular electoral victory of um, the openly anti-democratic and authoritarian President Jair Bolsonaro in 2018. Generally speaking, if you look at all the polling uh, in Brazil, a majority of the country, and this can be sometimes a big majority or a slight majority, has always said that social rights, uh, ending inequality, and some level of state involvement to reduce inequality has always been uh, necessary as a form of government in Brazil, which is seen as intertwined with democracy, but that's not exactly Bolsonaro's agenda. So I think there is support for policies, uh, a majority support for policies that doesn't necessarily have any expression within a government with popular approval right now, as well as different meanings of democracy. So you have to be careful with these studies. So I think right now, the other thing is what makes me think the possibilities of authoritarianism are increasing in Brazil is that no one seems to have an alternative. What do I mean by this? If you look at the opposition uh, to President Jair Bolsonaro in Brazil, it's very divided. You have on one side the center-right, most of which uh, was complicit and openly supported Bolsonaro's election in 2018 and believes in many of the same policies. Then you have the Workers' Party, uh, which is divided from these guys for a variety of political reasons. And then you have other sort of center-left and far-left forces which are not in the Workers' Party and don't have the same policy beliefs as the center-right. And among all of these forces, no one really has a credible alternative vision to Bolsonaro. And how can Brazil get back on its feet? I think this is a decade thing. I, can't, I think we've entered a worse version of the last decade after almost a previous last decade. So maybe lost two decades comparable to the worst of the 1980s. So we're going to have lost 20 years, maybe, in terms of uh, democratic progress and economic progress for the country. Now, what happens exactly is hard to know. But my uh, sort of medium-term prediction is rather than the catharsis of a impeachment or coming to terms with or a final reckoning for the Bolsonaro government, uh, whether it be through the Supreme Court or Congress, there will be a slow burn of uh, lost credibility, trade-offs, and scandals uh, as the government tries to desperately cling to power by making deals with le with the sort of corrupt center that uh, governs Brazilian politics, while um, other institutions such as the Supreme Court or the federal police bleed the government slowly, slowly but surely of its power through strategic arrests. So we have this sort of like slow bleeding process. At the same time as that's happening, we have a weak government, which Brazilian Congress adores, but they can enact better deals and more rent uh, in these circumstances. Um, we also have a more rapid bleeding of Brazilian democracy as the attacks on institutions, uh, popular forces and norms continue uh, by this government with a ineffective congressional opposition, meaning that you have a weak government more and more ruled by a uh, rent-seeking interest in uh, Congress and the degradation of Brazilian institutions going forward. And that's the while the economic crisis continues to worsen, uh, there are piecemeal measures by government, but nothing sufficient to deal with the crisis, and the public health crisis just gets worse and worse, which is a breeding ground for all sorts of uh, unprecedented and dangerous tendencies. That, 
I don't see a positive scenario. I don't see at any level Brazilian society uh, credible leadership and alternative being promoted. This episode was produced by Natalia Scalzareto. And if you like this podcast, please rate Explaining Brazil with five stars wherever you gather podcasts. Or you can sign up to The Brazilian Report, the journalistic engine behind the show. We offer a seven-day free trial, no strings attached, which gives you access to the site for a week without the need to insert any credit card details whatsoever. I'm Gustavo Ribeiro, and I'll see you back here next week. Thank you.